Locale. Local. Shock. Local. Cambiamento. Tapir. Gergelecta. Sacula Ijaia. Food. Change. Welcome to the Slow Food Youth Network Podcast. Hello guys, this is Valentina Gritti from the Slow Food Youth Network. You are listening to the second episode of the Sfin podcast about food sovereignty in Mexico. I visited this amazing country last year and I took the opportunity to interview some people from the local Slow Food Network to hear their perspective regarding the topic of food sovereignty. The podcast is divided in three episodes. The second episode will have a political and anthropological focus with the inputs of Vinik Jure, young anthropologist, and Larissa Aquino, a Sfin baker with a background in political sciences. Ready to start the second episode? Enjoy listening! I first met Vinik during Terra Madre 2018. Terra Madre is the biggest event organized by Slow Food every two years, in which the most active members of the movement get together and share their knowledge, experiences, cultures and, of course, food. Vinik, as an anthropologist specialized in mezcal, was invited to give a tasting workshop at the stand of the Slow Food Youth Network. As far as I remember, that was the moment in which the place got the most crowded. Of course, all this youth asking to taste their real Mexican mezcal. Mezcal is a liquor obtained by the distillation of the juice of some species of agave plants. Pinic lives in the city of Oaxaca, the capital of the Oaxaca state, which is considered as the culinary heart of Mexico. This is enough to explain to you why I had to pass from there. And Vinik was super nice to host me at his own house for a couple of nights, even if he had just moved there and half of his furniture was still in the boxes. But the good half was already at his place. The mezcal collection and the cups of local artisanal barro, the Spanish word for clay, were displayed in his cupboards. So we start our interview toasting with a glass of a very special mezcal, which seems to have some mystical powers. I am in the house of Vinik and he is going to be the next person for my interview about food sovereignty. Vinik is a researcher of regenerative food systems and is also part of the convivium of Slow Food Oaxaca Guaje. So now Vinik, what is food sovereignty for you in one word? Freedom. Freedom, okay, interesting. How is food sovereignty related with the work you do? Well, being a researcher with producer from small villages. I work in the diversity and the management of the biological diversity producers have, the way they transform their stuff, the way they 
create networks to commercialize their foodstuff, the way they use their food, for what purposes, what uh, practices, uh, how they use it, when they use it. I guess my work as a researcher connects to food sovereignty to push people from different parts of the um, of the system of food, of of a food system to work and be more conscious about our own way of nourishing ourselves and our spirits and the people around us and food sovereignty is freedom for me because the way we would like to have good clean food as slow food puts it for our network for our families friends for the producers we um, buy every day our food from. And how do you see the situation here in Oaxaca? So Oaxaca, it's uh, as many people know and understand, it's this place with amazing gastronomy. From a lot of different perspectives, you can find um, amazing clay that is used to produce food. You can find amazing biological diversity that is managed to produce food in a sustainable way. But also it's a place where you can find people that do not know the origin of the ingredients that they use. And this leads the way to, for example, having traditional moles made with chilies that come from the agroindustrial uh, industry from Sri Lanka, China or other different places. And still people feel very proud about its food its uh, culinary ways, but people do not know the origin of its ingredients. And this creates a very wide gap between producers and consumers, in an consumers being exploitative from producers, like bargaining prices or simply do not wanting what producers have because they don't know it. And also, well, Oaxaca here is a, it's a place with contradictory elements because, for example, if Oaxaca has keep or has kept some of its culinary practices, gastronomic lifestyle intact, because it's very complicated in its orography. It's in a in a place in the world where you can have a lot of different environments, but to get from one place to another. It is very hard and this is the reason why many things kept as they were before. But this has also been the reason to keep information in one place and keep information not getting to the right places to have a good understanding of this globalized world, world where people have to act in many different ways and sometimes change for, the good, for, for a good reason and for a good goal, their, their practices. So Oaxaca, it's this um, amazing place for its contradictory things in the good way and in the bad way. But um, I also have a question, like a bit more specific. I don't know if you can answer it or not, but in case we'll see. Um, do you connect like this um, industrialization, for example, the Chile that you are saying that it comes from uh, China or Sri Lanka, a specific uh, moment 
do you know like more or less when it started? Well, it started back in the 20th century when big scale or large scale communication systems started. Along that process already was in existence the process of expropriation of products, of commodification of products, of um, marginalization of, of rural people. So all of these things together fit in the way that exploitative people take advantage of large-scale practices of cultivation and production And with the communication system already in work, they could place one product from one place to another and start making these large commodifications. And hence we have products out of its place of origin where people do not know the difference from one to another and people do not know the importance that this product that you are not uh, really connected to um, has. And then in this way, If you are an urban people or an, an urban person living in uh, your life, you won't think about the difference and you won't care about the difference from a product that was from a local producer than a product that has, of course, a very different flavor or, and food practices that comes from the other side of the world. I think it's in this period of the world Of, of history that things started to change in this in this way. I think there's a lack of education because there is a lot of uh, lack of awareness of the products that we have, of the biodiversity that producers already manage and the products that come from the other side of the world. We just simply don't know. We first need to, to see, to take a look at the problem, to start uh, fixing the or creating possibilities for it uh, to change this. And do you think the work of slow food here is having a positive impact in this sense? Yeah, of course it has a positive impact. Uh, but currently it's very, very small because there is not a lot of people connected in a um, practical and in an actionable way with slow food. There is a little knowledge about slow food, but still it's a very small unit here working in Oaxaca. Although there are many different organizations working for this kind of philosophy, good, clean, fair. I think slow food could improve, could act as a connector of these many organizations or to push the traction even harder and faster to make the change that we want. And yeah, and then one last thing that I would like to ask you is if you would like to share something special with the network. The um, willing and desire that I want to connect with more people and that I want that people connect with other people because I think by being with someone else that is different from us 
we all we will always learn something and i think this is the power that slow food has it connects us to somebody else to learn to share to live life nice thank you for these nice words and now we get back to our mezcal that it's super nice and super aromatic yeah it's a um, ritual mezcal how do you call it destilado de mezcal ceremonial so this distillate keeps the essence a bit of people that have died and it, this is an, an offer to to those people so guys i will say goodbye and see you in the next interview and cheers cheers Vinic gave us an overview of food sovereignty in Oaxaca from an anthropological point of view. He stressed on the importance of networking to bring a positive change and to push people from different sides of the food system to be more conscious of the way we nourish ourselves. He notices that there is a general lack of awareness of the origin of ingredients and of their biodiversity. Now I will finish the rest of my class of mezcal and meet you in another region of Mexico. We are going to Chiapas, to the city of Tuxtla Gutierrez. We are now in Tuxtla Gutierrez in Chiapas, one of the poorest regions in Mexico. Actually, if you want to visit Chiapas, Tuxtla is not really the place you should go first, but we are here <laughs> struggling with the heat and it's about 35 degrees outside and we are here to meet Larissa, one of the slow food youths of Spain, Mexico. Uh, we are meeting in a cozy cafe uh, near the city museum. Let's listen to her opinion and her experience about food sovereignty. I'm here with Larissa, that is the convivium leader of Tutskla. And now I'm gonna ask you something, Larissa, about food sovereignty. <laughs> You're gonna give us your opinion and if you want you can tell us something about yourself at the beginning. So you've just started with the bakery. And uh, yeah, later on I will ask you something also about your own business, how you deal with food sovereignty. But yeah, let's start with yourself, like tell, tell us who you are. <laughs> Hi everyone, my name is Larissa Aquino. And as Vale says, I'm a food leader, well, food leader, <laughs> convivium leader here in, in Tuxtla. Of course you're a food leader. I'm a food leader, okay. <laughs> here in Tuxtla, uh, they, our convivium has two years and we've been working with uh, producers but also with uh, cooks and chefs to build a strong network of, of people who can also well talk talk with people about food sovereignty food security and all these great issues thank you lara then so you know really a lot about the local uh, food <laughs> situation and uh, for sure you can give us an overview uh, about food sovereignty here in the region of Tuxla. So yeah, feel free to share with us uh, whatever you think it's important to know. Okay. <laughs> I know in Spanish, <laughs> I'm gonna try to say all of this in English so, 
sorry everyone if I don't use the correct words. <laughs> well, um, I was uh, talking to Valentina about the situation we have in Chiapas because there are um, a few obstacles that in all the journey I've been having uh, with the convivium and also with my own project in the bakery, I've been um, well viewing these situations, right, with the producers because um, I have some colleagues in the markets where I distribute the bread and they are producers of uh, pues, fresh food, I, there's fish, uh, poultry, lots of things, but they have difficulties with marketing tools. We were, speak, we were talking about this because they don't have many tools um, as salesmen, that's hard because you, they, they are producers, of course, and very good producers, and they take care of each and every part of the food, food chain in the food production, but the part in where they have to deal with the consumer is the hardest part for them, because they don't know how to get to the consumer. They don't know how to speak to the producer. They don't know how to share the the details about the, the process or the benefits of the product. So mm, the consumer uh, can't understand the producer and that's a very hard situation because they don't sell as much as they wanted because they can overcome overcome that difficulty. So Also, uh, they have another issue, the food safety. Some some people uh, don't have the technology or, or they don't apply it correctly. Producers don't find the right packaging or the packaging is also plastic, a plastic bag. And well, you know that's, uh, that, that isn't as good as we wanted because we are here again uh, trying to trying to communicate to the consumer that you have to buy a good product if it is, I don't know, like a carrot or maybe an egg or maybe milk, but you gave it again in, a, in not the correct packaging, you don't have that. The producers don't, don't care for that part. So here we come again with the exact, the exact same problem that the consumer uh, ends up preferring the things that they found in a supermarket uh, rather than the things they can find in a local market. So there's another problem. Also, uh, well, we have uh, two here, no? the marketing tools and also the technology appliances. Maybe some of them, they have no access to the technology, they don't know the technologies or they are very, they are high in cost, so they can afford them, right? We have an experience with uh, some colleagues that are fishermen and they come to Tuxtla. Tuxtla is the main capital of Chiapas, so if you, know, if you don't know, <laughs> now you know. And from the shore to, to the capital, it's about five hours. In, so they bring the fish in very fresh, but they don't bring ice or they don't bring um, the, they don't have the infrastructure to keep it here so the, the so the hot weather doesn't mess with with the product right so that's a problem because when the consumer come to buy it with the product may be um, 
bad, right? So there's a problem, and there's a there is an example of what a simple thing as ice, or maybe not only ice, maybe another answer that they can have can give them an opportunity with the consumer. But that that's a thing that they they know they know isn't right. They know that uh, they should get some things that to improve uh, the sales, but. I know there is something in the way, and we were talking this to Valentina. There are many factors that uh, maybe in a forum we can discuss to the producers, but uh, what, why there isn't an incentive, or, or maybe what kind of incentives do they need to improve and to over, uh, overcome these difficulties? Mm. Just to clarify things, I want to, to talk about uh, two different ways to produce food that we found in, in Mexico, just in general. We have the, the industrial ways that uh, are mostly seen in the north part of Mexico, like in Sinaloa, where we have intensive production of maize, and we have uh, the, like the traditional um, like tra the traditional food production, right? Like the ones you can find in the milpa, that is uh, a polycultive of maize and pumpkins or squashes and also beans. And in gardens that we call huertas and also in traspatio that is the backyard. We have uh, these types of, uh, of, pro of food production in the traditional ways of producing food. And this is important because um, I'm going to talk to you about the food aids because the Mexican government in 2014 launched a campaign to uh, fight hunger. The program was a, a national, was the national food program called Mexico Without Hunger or Mexico Sin Hambre. And it was meant to uh, last for four years. But uh, we were uh, talking to Valentina about the like the incentives and the kind of uh, sponsors that were behind this uh, this program, such as Nestlé, I find it here, Cargill or Archer Daniels or Dreyfus, on all the ones you know, right? So we have all these multinationals coming to the to the communities and giving giving food and as milk, as cheese, or as um, maybe some grains also. But all this food is, um, is far from the context, from the cultural context of each community, because in the south part of Mexico, and as in the central part, or maybe in the north part of Mexico, are completely different in cultural consumption of food. Because in some places, for example, in the in the coast part, coast is the shores. Coast in the coast. Well, you can eat fish, for example, but you don't have a lot of dairy because they don't have vacas, cows. <laughs> they don't have cows, <laughs> so it's isn't easy to find to find dairy products. But in the but in the north part of Mexico, well, you can find is various dairy products. You can find apples or a lot, or a lot of in maybe wheat also, but there is a lot of difference in the cultural consumption. So this program is in 
contemplating, contemplating that. So they, they supply the communities, but with this kind of products. Yeah. And uh, so you think that food aids are not the solution and also that they in a way go uh, against food sovereignty and also like local production, right? Because people receive um, food food that it's not the normal food that they eat but like it's cheaper or it's given as a present or like sold for a low price and then they become kind of slave of these products and they stop producing for themselves does it happen like that yes i think in in a way it happens like that i i'm not totally against the food aids but i think the food aids must be very well thought because um you have communities that have very different levels of of food poverty if we can say it like that we have maybe we have communities that maybe could be better if the help could come to the to the improvement of their very local food production they're giving a meal for a day but they are not giving the way to support to, to support that as a way of living, as a way of uh, going outside of the poverty circle, you know? And, and that's hard because poverty is in, isn't about just one cause. Poverty is a multifactorial problem. So the food poverty also is a multifactorial problem. And I think that food aid um, maybe more, maybe thought, maybe, <laughs> may think more about the implications that, and the effects. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and do you think that uh, what Slow Food is doing here is more effective uh, for uh, the food sovereignty of people? You were t telling me something about a new um, Slow Food Presidia that is, um, that is being created in these days, let's yes. say. Uh, a Milpa Presidia. So, for example, do you think that this concept is more effective? And maybe can you tell us something about this, uh, this new project? Yes, I believe it's more effective because it's about the empowerment of the community. It's not, uh, the focus is not about the community as a passive actor, more than an active factor, but uh, the, the presidium the Presidia, sorry, the Presidia takes all the steps that are needed to take a community from passive to active and that's what we need because as I see it we cannot still uh, treat in communities as, a, as passive actors that don't know what they want, that they don't know what to eat or how to achieve it. We have to give them the opportunity but also the tools as we speak e earlier, and in the obstacles of producers facing uh, to go into the market, and they have that with the Presidia project because um, it's, it's very hard to go on their own to the market, but it's a reality because we have markets, we have trading, and they have to to face that, but with well, well, well not alone. That's what I mean. Mm -hmm. But when you speak about communities, you mean indigenous communities? Mm, 
yes and no <laughs> because uh, well here in mexico we are a blend <laughs> like coffee and we have yes yes we have indigenous communities but sometimes they um, there, there is a hard uh, it's, it's harder to work with the communities not because of the community itself but because the context we have um, political issues, we have economic issues, but also social issues that makes very, very hard uh, for, a, for a person from, from the city to go on and talk just like that with a person in an indigenous community. Now I would like to know something more about uh, your own business. Uh, how do you get your products, uh, the ingredients for uh, your bread and your um, desserts? <laughs> And um, yeah, so maybe you can tell us something else about when you started and why and how do you relate this with, uh, with your work with Slow Food as well. And yeah, so your bakery is called QMAX. <laughs> uh, she has an amazing Instagram account <laughs> if you guys would like Thank to you. check. And yeah, so now we, we listen to you. Thank you, Valentina. <laughs> Yes, well, my project is called Qmash. It's a, it's kind of a riddle. <laughs> it's a game of words from the Celta languages, language from the highlands of Chiapas, and the the this, um, the idea of building this is to play around food and to play with food um, in a good way because we want to. We want to communicate people all the values that, well, we found in Slow Food, right? That is the approach to the, co the communities with the producers to talk about the ingredients that are local and that we stop consuming because we are preferring another flavors and we, or sometimes we ignore those ingredients exist because our grandmother consumed it but she don't give it to us and some those, those kinds of situations right and well Qmash uh, was born in 2016 and it was just um, this need to to be near to the producers I um, developed this idea in Puebla and in Mexico because I participate um, in some projects anthropological products projects with with food and producers in all the central Mexico area and I find very funny that we prefer other products rather than our own <laughs> and I, I give you an example um, cakes cakes are like well very delicious thing and we eat it and for example strawberries right a very good strawberry or peach, for example. Here we have a, a very classic, very, very, very classic peach cake. But we don't have peaches here <laughs> because we don't have the attitude, but also uh, we don't have peaches any, any time of the year. Well, we have one time of the year that is in winter and they come from the highlands, but these peaches are not made into desserts. So the peaches, uh, these bakeries and and places put into the desserts are peaches from 
from the, from the industry, industrial peaches. Mm -hmm. We call them an almíbar. Conserves, preserves? Preserved. Like mm -hmm. preserved. Yep. But, well, for me it's hilarious because how to, why to eat something that we didn't produce? Or, for example, kiwis, right? We have kiwis in many desserts, but we don't produce kiwis. Or we don't have in Mexico, believe me. <laughs> so, I started this research for ingredients that we eat here in Chiapas. And, well, it wasn't an extensive research, but I, I find out this, that we have cacao. And I say, hey, cacao is delicious, right? Is chocolate is made from cacao. Why don't do, why don't we consume cacao? And I found that that um, it, it is a thing about production and about the approachness to the producer, because we have the producers in very far areas, far areas of the away from the cities, so the consumer can go to them. So well, they don't have a. Cocoa, cocoa. I think chocolate made from real, real cacao, right? We have the industrial thing that isn't related at all with our, our local production, but we have very good cacao. For example, I was telling Valentina that uh, the Salon du Chocolat uh, on Paris uh, comes here to Chiapas to to buy the, the cacao because it's one of the best from the world, but we don't consume it. So we choose some very specific ingredients um, and talk to some producers and we made this um, connection to them. So we, we, well, we use them in the, in the pastries but also in the bread and to make it uh, richer, to make it tastier, right? Because we have a good ingredient and a good ingredient has these amazing advantages that you have a good ingredient and you need less of this because with the industrial ingredient you need more and more and more to get flavor but with the real thing you don't need a lot because you mm. have a little bit and you get a lot of flavor that's the thing about the vanilla we use the cacao we use and is it also local the vanilla yes from veracruz from papantla well now we have a, a problem because uh, our um, the person that produces the vanilla for us stopped producing it because uh, they have uh, they have a food production problem there of a plague they got a plague and they uh, couldn't control it and they are fighting against this uh, against this plague so uh, they don't they didn't get enough vanilla the last year the last year so they have just a little, a little bit of vanilla for this year and the price just went to the skies, right? And we have that problem now because um, we really believe in connecting to the producer, so we absorb these, um, we absorb these problems for, for sure. ourselves because our clients, I don't know, they, they ask for a cookie, for a special cookie we made with this vanilla, with this cacao. Mm. And if we don't have that ingredient, they got mad and we try to explain to them but they they don't well they get mad. Mm. Yeah? and that's a problem for us and we have to keep looking for producers and we have to 
uh, keep talking to them and uh, we have to hear them because we have to hear their, their problems and we are just bakers no? I'm, a, I'm just a baker I mean um, maybe I'm not an economist I'm not a you know a, a project designer but just I'm, I'm, I think I'm close to be that because I speak to them and we try to find the solutions for them to to pass these obstacles right in Mexico we have a, a an obstacle with flour because after the after the telecan i think you call them uh, it's an international treaty with between mm. mexico united states and canada mm. telecan i forgot the name in english <laughs> but we have this issue because we produce uh, flour we produce wheat but uh, with this change in the 90s with the entry of this treaty uh, make the north, the north part of Mexico uh, stops producing it and begins to import it. So all the grain that was a Mexican grain become uh, grain from uh, Russia, from the United States, from many parts of the world, and we don't have a quality, right? We lost quality. So we have that problem because I know in Europe they don't have that problem because they have mills. But in Mexico, it's not easy because we depend on the industrial, well, on the, on the industry of flour. And also, if there are a few projects that are producing flour, they are very little, and also they have a lot of um, production defects. And we have to deal with that because the bread has to be very good and very tasty and maybe that's the part that is hard because the consumer is very hard on us on the small scale producer and artisan of the food and they don't forgive if you give a bad thing which is not of our case but we work very hard so um, I think that's, that's a big obstacle maybe more in the south part of Mexico because we don't have the same access that they have in the central part of Mexico or in the north part and well we don't import many things or the imports are are well are expensive we were talking before about the the flour that is millstone grounded and is organic but is also not whitened and the prices are very 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 high can i put example of the price sure, yeah. well maybe you can find um, a kilo of an whole wheat a whole wheat of, of flour into 15 pesos or 16 pesos and you found the equivalent in the organic way but also imported from the united states like in 150 pesos and we can cannot mm -hmm. compete with that though we know the the quality is, is better, mm -hmm. so that's an issue. Okay, yeah, that sounds difficult. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I hope that in the future it will be better for that as well. Yes. Yeah. Okay, thank you so much, Lara. So now we get back to our Café Urbano uh, in the Museo de, la, Museo de la Ciudad. Yes. In Tuxtla Gutiérrez. I'm here with my mint tea. <laughs> we just finished eating quesadillas with mushrooms. Right? Yes, mushrooms and blue corn tortillas. 
Yeah, perfect. It sounds amazing, right? <laughs> okay, thank you so much for listening. Bye-bye. Bye. Lara gave us an overview of how food sovereignty in Chappos looks like. She told us about the pros and cons of governmental food aids, about the difficulties small producers have to sell on local markets, and also about how in her bakery she tries to highlight the excellent products of her region. Definitely a lot of content and starting points for debating further. We have come to the conclusion of the second episode of the Sfin podcast Food Sovereignty in Mexico. In this episode we have listened to the interviews of Vinny Curé, food anthropologist and Mexical expert, and Larissa Aquino, political scientist now working as a baker with a focus on conscious eating. Key lessons to take home are the importance of networking and education, the impact that government can have on food sovereignty, and the importance of sustaining and helping out small-scale farmers. Food sovereignty is the right to have access to your local traditional food, to a biodiverse and healthy meal. It's knowledge and education, as well as a political choice against a corporate-driven food system. Food sovereignty is the right to a type of food that tastes good because it's fresh, it's local and nutritious. If you like this podcast, share it with your friends and contacts. And remember to follow the Slow Food Youth Network on our social media. Mm -hmm.